Listener Production. You are listening to episode 182 of the Howie Games Part B featuring hockey guru Jamie Dwyer. Let's get stuck back into it as the Kookaburras get set for their unbelievable run at the 2004 Games in Athens. Kookaburras at this point were the the nearlies. Like, it's phenomenal players. I actually looked at it, mate. They'd been competing for 48 years, three silver, three bronze, never won a gold medal in the Olympics. And I went back and looked at it. So you're saying you come back from a knee, and it's not a dominant qualifying series at all. Like you started well, 4-1 New Zealand, Jamie Dwyer, a lazy hat-trick. Dwyer, and it's a third, Jamie Dwyer from the acutest of angles. So you, you go into that game with questions about your knee, Externally, because I can remember it being a story at Channel 7, right, how's Jamie Dwyer going to go with his knee? Were you going in thinking how's Jamie Dwyer going to go with his knee or not? Well, to be honest, I was happy to make the team because we had a European tour two months before and I hadn't picked up a hockey stick and I was pretty ordinary. Well, I was going okay, but, yeah, I had doubts about my knee because it was blowing up every now and again and I wasn't comfortable or confident. And after that series, I went back to Rockhampton and I could hardly swing a golf club. I was, I was so sore. And my dad goes, you're not all right, are you? And I said, no, nah, it doesn't feel real good. And I'm just a little bit worried. But I had a good rest for like for a week but over that European tour. It was three countries. It was like 10 games. It was full on. Anyway, in Rocky, uh, and I, that's when I got the phone call. You're, you're in the team. And I was like, oh, great. And then when I got to Athens, I was like, I've got nothing to lose. This is my, this is what I've always wanted. I actually didn't think I was going to be here six months ago. Um, and my mates were super fit. I, the team was super fit, super tight. We, we'd had some struggles, but we really, we had a good mix of, of like alpha males, followers, young guys. Like there was a really good chemistry in that team and still is to this day. Um, and so I was like, we got a great team. We're going to give this a shot. And for me, I had nothing to lose. And then, yeah, after the first game, it was 8.30 in the morning. I remember we, we woke up at 4 o'clock. We went for a jog, went to the food court. Um, super excited. Got out there. It was like 40 degrees. It was so, so hot playing against so New Zealand. So hot in Athens. And one of the New Zealand guys, the bigger fella, Hayden, he uh, he lost, I think, seven kilos and had to go to hospital to get on the IV drip after the game. Jeez. So it was it was pretty hot. But, yeah, getting a hat-trick in my first game and then a double in the next game sort of gave me the confidence. Jamie Dwyer, goal number six for the tournament and a little bit of showmanship. Well, he's celebrating and I guess he's got every right at this stage. He's six goals for the tournament. You can't be too unhappy with that. And he looks so sharp in the circle. Every time he gets the ball, he is finishing. And gave me the belief that my knee was good. I was still getting acupuncture, still getting lots of work on it during the Olympics, but I had more confidence in it. And I was at that level where I was like, if I blow it, I don't care. I just got to give it everything I've got. Just to sidetrack you for a moment, my because it was my first Olympics, I was so excited to, to work on. And it was, it was you know how every Olympics is like Atlanta was going to be security, Sydney was going to be traffic, um, then Beijing was going to be smog. I remember Athens being, they're not going to get it finished. And I remember moving into the media village and I got in my room. It was a nice room, beautiful view. It was perfect, had an air conditioner. But there was like a big window that you could see outside. 
but there was no glass in the window. It was just <laughs> open. And sure. I remember saying to old mate, you know, well, what's happening? You said, oh, tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. Well, what are the Olympics go? 16 days or whatever they are. I actually got a, a glass window put in on day 14. So before that, there was like, it was open to the outside world. How, how was the athlete's village? Was, was it finished and good to go? Because the older media village, it wasn't, my friend. I wasn't finished, but I didn't mind. I was at the <laughs> okay. Olympics. And I, yeah, and, that's how uh, I felt, to be honest. I was like, yeah, this is awesome. It was really spread out. I, I really loved uh, Athens was one of my favourite, oh, obviously, because we won, but yeah. my first one. But I actually didn't mind it. I felt at home because only three stories high. So we were with us and then we were at top level, I think, and then the, all the staff was on the second floor and then the girls were on the on the bottom floor. So, yeah, I, I felt comfortable around it. And I was still laying grass on the last day, but yeah, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> I didn't mind at all. The pool was finished, the gym was finished, the food court was good, <laughs> and then, yeah, it was fine. So we look at it, I, I said that it, it wasn't... Argentina 2, Australia 2, you scored twice. Now, I don't know a great deal about hockey, but I know Argentina are not expecting to have a draw with Australia. And then you sneak over India 4-3, you scored again, South Africa 3-2, and then you lose to the Dutch 2-1. So Australia now heading officially for a semi-final clash against Germany on Wednesday Athens time. And the Netherlands will play Spain on the same day. The winners, of course, of the semi-final will play off for the gold medal. So at the end of this final qualification game, Australia beaten by the Netherlands by two goals to one. So this is not, uh, it would be fair to say, this is not a form line of a team that's dominating. And I can't remember what this was, Jamie. And I looked everywhere on the internet and the Google machine let me down. Again, I can remember in our production meeting, this is, a, you know, nearly 20 years ago, someone saying that the Kookaburra's coach, Barry Dancer, has made certain comments that have been printed at home and it looks like, I can't remember what it was, mate, but it looked like there was disunity in the team. Am I way off the mark here or not? No, you're spot on, actually. So after India... I, I remembered something. Yeah, after India, we we celebrated after we scored. We, we spoke about it the day before and us strikers, like, was... A couple of other blokes are half we score, let's do this. And um, we were just young, enjoying the moment. Uh, a few of the guys had tattoos on their arms, just the, like the kookaburra and the can- you know the kangaroo or or whatever. And after that game, when we we nearly lost it, uh, we were three one up, got back to three all. We scored in the last ten seconds to to win it, which pretty much secured our spot in the semi. We, all we had to do was beat South Africa, who were tough, but but we, yep. we knew we were going to beat him. Uh, yeah, Barry Dancer, who was the coach, said some stuff in the media. And I was, you know, my granddad ringing me up, you know, from Rockhampton and said, oh, in the paper it says you're arrogant and you're this and you're that. So the and coach said, had said this? Well, that's, I don't know if he said it, but that's, but that's what had come reported. out in gotcha. the media. He, he, probably, um, he probably didn't say we're arrogant. He, he probably said some stuff he probably shouldn't have said. And I, I actually, I actually was pretty hurt by it because I thought, you know, and especially from him because I, you know, I love, love him. You know, he's he's taught me so much and he brought me up from a raw hockey player to, to a, you know, a pretty well-oiled machine by mm. Athens in those three or four years. And he, he, I was, I wasn't always easy to deal with off the field, um, but he sort of taught me that as well and. We had our ups and downs, but you knew it was black or white with him. Um, and 
But it was always he had your back. And this one, he let slip and maybe the media said something a little bit wrong. The media got a hold of it. Uh, I didn't like it. A few of the other guys he spoke about didn't like it. And we had a meeting and it was the worst meeting I think I've ever, nearly I've ever had. And tape, this, tape me into the meeting. What, what was so bad? Uh, was it just uncomfortable? It was very uncomfortable. Um, he didn't go back on what he said. He, he sort of backed himself up and said, we've got to change and we're immature and we're not going to win this if we're immature. And I was looking at other people and they were steam coming out of their ears. Steam was coming out of my ears. And then we went for a walk after just as a team. And we sort of got together a little bit as a group. Like I went to my good mates and other guys would go there, mate, don't worry about it, you know, it's all right. And then I remember just sitting in my room after it, after we went for the walk and I was so angry. And my, my roommate came in and said, look, don't worry about it, we've got to get over this stuff and we've got to, you know, move on. And maybe one of the leadership guys had a chat to the coach because he came up to me um, uh, just as we got off the bus to play South Africa and he took me out. We were all in the change room. He took me out and he said sorry to me. And then he took another person out and said sorry. And after that game, he said, look, I'm, I am, he apologised, which not many people would do, but that was him, you know. He, he made a mistake. We all make mistakes. He admitted it. It disrupted us for a day if we lost to that game to South Africa. Mm. Um, yeah, punches probably would have been thrown, but we got through that and and we moved on and, it sort of, it disrupted us that much that we become closer because of it. So we just let everything off our chest. Uh, anything that, any problems we had, we all just spoke to each other. And like I said, the chemistry in that group, we could, I could easily talk to the oldest guy, most experienced or the youngest guy and no one, we're all together. And then, and then the coach and the coaching staff, you know, sort of joined in and apologized and we were all then on the same page and, after that moment, there was no looking back. I thought this, looking back at it now, is probably a good thing. Uh, if we just went through and everything was easy, you know, it does, doesn't, life doesn't work like that. Sporting events don't work like that. So we, uh, yeah, in the end, it was, a, it was a blessing in disguise and we just went out there and then dominated the next, oh, we lost to Holland, but we, you know, it didn't really matter. We had, I think, twice as many goal shots as them and we smashed Spain in the semi and then, the final was, yeah, a tough uh, encounter. So the final. The pre-match entertainment, a game of quoits, was a sign of festivities to come. <laughs> our Olympians mingled with fans and players' families. There were the boomers, the divers, our rowers. Australian spirits spilt over just like the sponsors brew. I got memories of what physically happened on the field, but I don't know how much mental preparation you did in your career, and I'm sure it increased as you went on, but you're talking about being nervous, and I've told you that your team hasn't won for 48 years. You're the pin-up boy. You've been scoring the goals. There's guys in the corner, you said, dry reaching due to nerves. What did you learn about your career? I'm reading a book at the moment by Shane Watson and it's fascinating and he's exploring mentally what helped him go from, in his words, 
is talking about really struggled with his test career because he didn't have the right mental preparation and blocking thoughts out and jamming positive thoughts in. And the last six years of his career, he was unbelievable. And he said, my skills were no different. It was my mental preparation. It's a fantastic book, Jamie. But you're going into the biggest game of your life. Looking back on it, what mental processes did you have? What did you learn as your career progressed about mental preparation for sport as opposed to the physical, which we have been talking about? I was nervous, obviously, as my as what I wanted to do ever since I was three years of old was to go to the Olympics and win the Olympic Games gold medal. The training before was really relaxed and really great. We prepared really well. Everyone was crystal clear on the game plan. The coaches were great. We were, everyone was fit. We all were ready to go. And I guess you have that little thing, this might sound weird, but you have that thing in the back of your mind that if you lose, you know, you get a silver, so that's not too bad. Okay. Um, but there were guys who had been to 2000 who had that pain of losing uh, in the semi-final against Holland in shootouts, and and they just said, let's make the most of this opportunity. I myself was quite calm. I was nervous, but I'd, I'd had this like set play of listening on the bus to the ground that I could listen to. And it finished with uh, Eminem, Lose Yourself in the Music, The Moment, You Want It. And that was my last song. And I thought to myself at the time, I've been preparing for this basically my whole life. So when I was at Rockhampton and we were training, I'd pretend I was at the Olympic Games and it was the golden goal and it came out to me. And most times I'd, I'd miss that training back at Rockham. But I was like, <laughs> I've, I've got this, you know. And the coach, gave me confidence as well he's like you know you're in good form just keep doing what you're doing don't try and overplay it and he made it really simple for me I chatted to my other strike forwards to my left half I chatted to all the guys I needed to chat to 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 prepare and I thought yeah well whatever happens let's go on let's give this a, a red hot crack and yeah we we should have won that game I reckon 6-0 or 6-1. We had that many chances, that many chances. That's my memory, mate. Every near miss was met with a collective groan. It was edge-of-your-seat stuff, the equaliser from Travis Brooks. Gets it to Travis Brooks. I remember being in the crowd. So it finished at one all at the end of full time. And it was, from the outside, it was like, oh, my God, what if they lose this? They're like, they should have won 10-3. Yeah. Yeah, that was typical. Um, oh, well, us, you know, we'd always enter the Australian team. We'd always enter the attacking circle more than the opposition got into it. So yeah. mathematically, we should we should score if we're uh, vigilant and, you know, um, thorough inside the attacking circle and defensive circle. But at that time, we weren't too great. And we, we had a penalty corner, but it wasn't a great penalty corner. And we had nine corners that, that game and... I think we scored one or no, we didn't score one until I scored at the end, but they had two and they had a great penalty corner flick here. And I thought, oh, here we go. You know, they're just going to get a corner, go down and score. And this is the one that got away pretty much. And also I found out like one minute before the game that if it went to strokes, I was going to be the fifth penalty stroke taker. So I'm like, I really don't want this to go to strokes. So, so, so for those, so you have full time, then you have extra time yeah, with a golden goal. If golden no one goal, scores in yeah. that, you go to penalties. Yes. But if anyone scores in extra time, game is over, golden goal. Yes. So what is, it, it's one all. You've dominated the game. So to, to me, the Dutchies are mentally up because they're like, wow, if we score one goal, we're, we're going to pinch this game. Whereas 
to me from the outside looking in, it was, wow, if we lose this, we're never going to forgive ourselves. So what does a coach say in this instant with a gold medal on the line at the end of full time? How long does he have with you and what does he say? Oh, he's probably got four or five minutes. I actually can't remember what he said, to be honest. I was like in the zone. I'm like, okay, we've got this. Mm. He probably just said, just keep going. We've dominated this game. Chance is going to come, get to the right spots, which they did. So we, that first seven and a half minutes, we dominated that. We had so yeah. many shots again. We couldn't score. And then right on the, the first period of extra time, we got the, the corner. Despite Australia's dominance, one all at the end of regulation time, extra time golden goal to decide it. And a penalty corner, the perfect opportunity. And what happens with the corner, someone runs over to the coach, you get a code, like it could be 3A or 1B or whatever. We all know what that corner is. They come out and they relay that to the group. And the corner was a variation corner. So depending on what the opposition run, it could go either to me or it could go to the other way. But I knew like it was 99% chance it was coming to me because they run the same way all the time. And, and did, had... you, did you want it to come to you in that yeah, moment? Yeah. <laughs> so then the, the drag flicker, so the main guy who, you know, trap it and flick it in, he goes, why don't I just flick it in? And I said, yeah, you should just flick, flick it in <laughs> like this. And because uh, that's the simplest way, you know, there's a lot of, lot of less um, things that can, can go wrong. And the captain, who was the, he stopped the ball. He goes, no, let's just stick to the, stick to the call because um, we've never changed the call in our life. So let's just stick to the call. And I'm like, okay. So he came over to me and I had two chances in normal time and I flicked them. So when I flick it, uh, I can put the ball anywhere in the goal. It doesn't have to hit the backboard. It can go anywhere. Um, but if I hit the ball, it has to hit the backboard unless it gets a deflection. So I flicked the two before and he saved him just, actually, a pretty good save. So I thought, I'm going to flick this again. Uh, out the corner of my eye, the guy was on me. Uh, it was higher, a little bit higher than what he normally was. So as the ball was coming over to me, I was like, I have to hit this. So in that split second, I've changed from flicking to hitting. So I hit it, come off sweet. It missed his foot by about one or two centimetres, went in between the keeper's pads, up into the goal. And I remember huh. it, it just is like, I don't know, the movies where it just stopped. Everything just completely stopped. And I was like, yep, I hit that. It got a deflection. It's in the goal. That's a goal. And then yeah, I looked over to the umpire, he blew a goal and then I ran off uh, like a crazy man and <laughs> celebrated for, uh, for a while. <laughs> Dwyer, it's in! It's in! It's fantastic! Australia have won! They've got the goal medal! Yeah. Relief and disbelief. The one Olympic victory some feared might never come. Well, one of the most famous and long-lasting sporting hoodoos in Australian history has finally been laid to rest. So the monkey's finally off the back after 48 years and three silver medals. Finally, Australia's night. <laughs> the, the perspective that I remember... So it's the end of the Olympics. You've, you've been working hard. It's near the end, obviously. I don't know what day it was on. I just remember beer being thrown everywhere. <laughs> there was just beer everywhere, and then there was just guys in green and gold 
running towards you, just like blokes off the bench, coaches, medical staff. That's why I said to you, it's one of the top five sporting things I've ever seen live. Yeah, the way it all happens, like, was a dream come true. And after it, after we won and you sort of sit down in the change rooms and you're sort of trying to sink it all in and John Eels is there and Laurie Lawrence and James Tompkins and we ran out of beer, so uh, um, who went up? John Eels took his shirt off, went up and swapped his shirt for some beer and brought down a case of beer and we rocked back to the – rocked back late because uh, it was 9 o'clock when the game started so we got didn't get back to the village till 1, 1.30 and we're back there and we watched the game again on TV and we're just sitting there I was like this is this is just the best thing ever <laughs> sitting next to John Eels Laurie Lawrence is over there and his jocks singing a poem <laughs> or whatever he's doing and everyone just had the biggest smile on their face and yeah it was a it was a relief it was just um, yeah, a, a feeling that it, I can't describe I still can't describe it because when I look back, I think, oh, did it actually really happen? Because uh, I have to get out the gold medal and just quickly have a look and remember that it happened because it just felt like one big dream. The winning goal, a moment Jamie Dwyer will be happy to relive for the rest of his life. It's the most amazing feeling I've ever felt in my life and um, I don't know what to say. It's just, it's just a dream come true, really, and oh, it feels bloody awesome. <laughs> talking to someone about this recently when um, you kindly agreed to come on and I remember going away from that Olympics thinking, wow, Jamie Dwyer is going to be everywhere in the next year because of what he's just done. And I reckon you went and played overseas and it was someone from the world of hockey and they explained to me that hockey at the time, maybe this was their impression, maybe missed a trick because Hockey at the time wanted to promote the team and the team culture, whereas us in the media are looking to create a hero and you were the hero of the moment. Like I know you couldn't have got there without your team and it's a team game, but you were an obvious pin-up boy at the time. Yeah, I've thought about this since I have retired. And have you? Yeah, because – and I think you're 100% right. I think from a hockey point of view – they should have used me a lot more, um, but it was complete the opposite in-house. In-house, it was, you know, you're not that good. You're only good because the team um, is as good as what they are and you're not the best player in the world, my coach said. He said, you're not the best. I don't think you're the best player in the world. I said, okay. Um, but it was I the best player at the Olympics? <laughs> uh, mm. He didn't answer. Uh, and it was more this is the team success. I got best player in the world there. I got more than 50% of the votes from the players. In those days, the players voted for best player in the world. I got, yeah, I think more than 60% of the votes that I was the best. And I coming into the 2006 uh, Commonwealth Games, it sort of frustrated me a little bit. We didn't have a major sponsor. And I was like, just just use me. Or I went overseas, yes. but I was only over there for a short stint and I was back and, you know, it, even if I was over there, I'm happy to come back and happy to promote the sport. I want this sport to grow. You should have been driving a Golden Holden. Like that. that's that's what mm. every other sport would have done in that situation. Yeah, I wish. I, I don't know. I haven't spoke to the coach about this or Hockey Australia. I, I, I wonder if they regret um, not using me, but 
that was just the way it was. Uh, I did. I couldn't then say, okay, no, but I'm the man. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I got you. And I want to promote this game, and I, you know, I'm like the Michael Jordan of hockey. Like it's more, okay, yeah, you're right. Um, I like uh, because I love my teammates, and they they in a they were right. I couldn't do it without my teammates. My teammates were unbelievable. Some of the best players in the world. Um, but from a hockey point of view, to promote it and to to make the game grow in this country, I think we missed missed an opportunity for sure. Yeah, that's exactly the way that was explained to me. Mate, without talking specific games, so you've walked away from the Olympics a couple of times with a bronze medal. It's another bronze medal for Australia. As in Beijing 2008, sixth consecutive games with a medal. Rick Charlesworth were hardly celebrating. And I think the reason for that is Australia came here with only one coloured medal on their mind, and that was gold. Are they successes or are they failures? Oh, failures. Uh, probably still. They were at the time. They probably still are. And I remember one of the commentators who was an ex-hockey guy said, oh, they'll probably think this is a failure now, but in 20 years' time, they'll probably think that it was success. Well, nah, I don't see it as a success. I wanted to win. That's all I wanted to do. I didn't mm. worry about playing the most games for Australia or scoring the most mm. for Australia or playing yep. minor tournaments, I wanted to win the Olympic Games and World Cups. I even didn't worry too much about the Com Games because, you know, I knew we were going to have a really good chance about that. It was the Olympics and World Cups. And that's how I wanted, that's how I judge other mm. sportsmen uh, and that's how I wanted to be judged. So I wanted to be someone who performed on those, be, be at my best at that time. We had some great teams. You look back at those games, mainly against Germany, um, 2-0 up or 2-1 up and Germany just do what Germany do. They're just <laughs> so, uh, so just robotic in the way they do it and they can come back from any situation. It's done now. The job is complete and the Australians will be gutted. So much expectation about this uh, world number one side coming into the Olympics and they aren't going to get past their semi-final. An extraordinary second half, the like of which you won't see too often in international sport in any code. But for the Germans to beat the number one nation in the world, coming from behind twice, and to win it by two goals, Brent, this is a, an historic day for German hockey. And between us and Germany, between 2001 to 2014, we'd won every major tournament. And, yeah, coming up against them in... In, uh, in 2012 was tough because I thought we had a really good chance of, of winning that. 2008, we lost to Spain. Spain were probably the second best team in the world. Germany ended up winning the Olympics, but we just weren't good enough. We had a couple of injuries. That one was a bit of bad luck. I think if we had all our players, we, we would have won that one. But 2012, yeah, we, we should have won. We had every everyone there. So... Yeah, and is that, I, sti- is that still with you now or is it oh, just gone? It just shows you how hard it is to win. Um, I'm, I'm very thankful we won two World Cups in 2010 and 2014 because they sort of softened the damage of the Olympic bronze in a way. There it is, the Kookaburras, our World Cup champions for 2010. Oh. What about that? Game set match. Australia, 6-1. They defend their World Championship. Australia are the World Champions. I'm just happy I've got one. We've only won one. <laughs> and mm. I, I, I won it 
Uh, would have loved to be like Rochelle Hawks and have three gold medals. Um, we would go down as, you know, one of the all-time greatest hockey teams in the in the history. But it doesn't happen like that. There's not much I can do to change. If I, if I could change uh, something, I would go back. And you're talking about the mental side of it. I would go back and I would have my own mental um, uh, psych. Um, mm. I watched the Richie McGaw documentary, oh, how yeah. he had his own psych. And I, I just wish, I wish I had someone who I could talk to uh, rather than my teammates or, you know, my coach. I wish I had someone, we, we had a team psych, but he, you know, he'd spent 10, 20 minutes with him then he'd go on to the next person, next person. I wish I had someone there to mentally prepare me. You look at the golfers like Cam Smith or these guys, they have a strength and conditioning coach, a masseuse, a, a swing coach, a caddy, a psych, uh, they have six or seven guys to help them. We have a coach, assistant coach, and then a psych, but... Um, I just wish I was a bit more prepared mentally uh, to take on, especially after the Athens gold. Uh, one thing I was very proud of in my career was I got better and, you know, I become the, uh, I reached my potential, uh, which I look back and I'm very happy about, very proud about. I looked myself in the mirror after him and said, well done, you know, you did everything you could. But after the Olympic Games gold, I wish I had helped to to get me uh, mentally to another level which I wasn't ready for in, in 2008 and 2012. Stand by. We will return to Jamie in a few moments. For those that like a story with a difference, go back and check out episode 81 of the show with cricketer and leg-spinning wizard forward Ahmed Fuzz's story. It's about so much more than just cricket. So when you're talking about this beautiful, beautiful country that your family live in, that it's all you've ever known, how difficult a decision is it to say, I'm going to leave? Seriously hard. I wanted to play for Pakistan. I wanted to stay with my mom because my mom, she struggled really hard. Imagine living in a country where you can't, you can't work, you can't go out from the house. There was no support. We were all young. I was one year old. And then she survived and then you are at the top edge to support her and then you are leaving, you know? So What did you say to her? Well, stop. I said, she was happy for me as well because at the end, she's a mom. Yep. She, she wants whatever best for me. She wanted this, what she wanted and she's missing me a lot, you know? She she still miss me now. Um, Do you remember saying to her, I can't stay here any longer, yeah, I have this, to go? Yeah, that's what I told her. Yeah, I have to leave, you know? Yeah, there is no other way. That is Farwad Ahmed on episode 81 of the show. Let's get back to JD. Mate, as I said at the start, I introduced you like as the Kelly Slater of hockey that it, 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 I can't go through everything you ever won or it'd be midnight in Brisbane. So you, you finish your career and you, you mentioned earlier on that it's a positive in a way that you're not making enormous money because you, you've got a career sort of planned out. So your business now, JDH Sports. So hockey sticks, hockey apparel, hockey gear continuing to expand. But y- your hockey sticks, yeah, are they made on the subcontinent? Are they made in Pakistan? Yep, they're made in Pakistan, yeah. Right, I'm fascinated by 
how you're received over there? At what's it like the first time you go there? Like, how's the factory work? What's oh, <laughs> it, it must be brilliant. Like, it must be a challenge, but a wonderful thing to be heading off to Pakistan to check out where your hockey sticks are coming from. I love it. I people think, oh, you're going to Pakistan? What do you go there for? But I absolutely love it. The factory is in Sialkot, which is an hour drive north of Lahore. It's close to the right. close to the border of India and Pakistan. Yep. Uh, and it's a massive, massive factory. They do 6 million soccer balls a year, 6 million shin guards for another brand. They've wow. got all the top hockey brands there. Uh, they do pickleball, which is huge over in the States. They do paddle, <laughs> which um, I, yeah, which is huge in, in Europe. And Adam Paddle's Gil- a great game. Adam Gilchrist uh, loves it. Yeah, so, Michael Vaughan introduced us to that. There's one down here in South Melbourne. When Vaughan gets here, all he wants to do is play paddle. Yeah, it's a good game. It is a good game. I was over in Holland a few weeks ago, and that's all they wanted to do after the meetings. They let's go play paddle. Like, yeah, yep. sure, let's go. So, yeah, the, the factory, I learn a lot. I just go there for four or five days. I just pretty much go to the factory at eight o'clock in the morning and then stay there to eight o'clock at night and and meet the bosses and meet the, the workers and, and how it's all run. And yeah, it's, it's amazing. Um, my first time over there, I got all these sticks made and they do all these testing of sticks in the laboratory with, you know, different strength tests and, you know, carbon and all this stuff. And I said, okay, I had brought over some few balls with me from Australia and I was like, um, so where can I go and have a hit? And they're like, what do you mean? I said, oh, I want to go have a hit with all these new samples <laughs> that I've got. And I said, well, no, no one has a hit here. And I said, what do you mean? Like Adidas and Grays and all these guys don't come and test the sticks out? And they said, no, no, they don't. I was like, okay, um, do you have some grass? And they had this little patch of grass out the front, so I'm out there. <laughs> playing hockey and hitting the ball and there's this little barbed wire fence and they all drive bikes and I was hitting it up against the fence and a couple of balls were going through. I wasn't hitting it real hard and the boss said, it's okay, it's okay, hit as hard as you want, as hard as you want. So I'm smashing this ball, I'm smashing a few bikes (laughs) and uh, (laughs) I have like 10 guys come out and then another 10 minutes later there's about 100 and then there's about 500 guys just sitting there watching me play hockey on this (laughs) bit of grass and then... um, then the boss gets, I oh, get back to work, you lot, and I have to run back into work. But it's, I love going over there. The sticks are really good. I've, I was, I was lucky with my business that I could get around the world quite quickly with my name. So I got into America, Europe, UK, uh, South Africa, Japan, uh, Argentina, everywhere. So the sticks are sold everywhere, and they're good quality. So um, owning your own business is sometimes difficult, and there's different time zones and and all that. But I really enjoy it, and. Yeah, I've learned so much over the last uh, seven years or so since starting it. It's been it's been great. It, it, after hockey, and after you, you know, come out of that competitive nature of competing and you know training and being your absolute, you know, fitness uh, prime. It it is hard, and even though I was thirty seven, three kids, wife, business set up, businesses set up, uh, it is an adjustment. And it must be even harder for those people who have an injury or, you know, have to retire from that or get dropped or whatever. It's difficult. You sort of got to refine yourself in a way. You got to, you know, ask yourself what, what do you like and, you know, what's important in your life and how you're going to challenge yourself. And this JDH has really, you know, got the competitive 
juices flowing. It's it's want me to make the best hockey sticks and and w- when you roll over there into the factory, <laughs> are they like, oh, Jamie Dwyer, hockey guru? Do they, do they love you because of your like? I know they're cricket obsessed, but I've seen them play hockey. They are hockey obsessed as well. So do you get extra cachet being the man? Uh, yeah, they do. They do love me. The workers aren't allowed to talk too much, but I walk into the factory and there's a massive poster of me standing like that. So, oh, and that's me. And like some of them just give me a little thumbs up and smile. When I was in India, it was it was a unique experience as well. So in India and Pakistan, like they love their cricket. Like you said, cricket's like a religion, but hockey's their national sport, yes. and they really hold it very close to their close to the chest. So they. Uh, I was in India and I had I took my wife over the first time and she's blonde, blue eyes, tall. She's from Holland and people were stopping and trying to you know touch her hair and stuff. I was like, what are they doing? And and then I had a guy sit out, like stalk me, sit outside my room and like sending me texts at 3 a.m. and 4 a.m. and oh, I was like, oh man, what's going on? And it was young hockey bloke. I said, look, mate, just please, thank you very much, but you know, you just don't stay outside my room. And then this other guy sends me a, a photo on social media of his tattoo. He's got a massive tattoo down his arm of me. It's a photo of me. I'm like, <laughs> mate, what are you doing? <laughs> you he's got picked, the Jamie Dwyer tattoo. Yeah, you could have picked a better looking hockey boot. But, uh, yeah, no, he's got me and um, I'm, I'm, he's got a sleeve on his arm of me, which, uh, which is weird. Mate, we always finish this way um, by trying to pass on some knowledge, often to the younger generation, but to people that listen. We have a lot of kids that listen with their family on the way to hockey practice or engineering school or off to their science project or off to cricket training. You, you know, well, I don't know about arguably, probably the best hockey player in the history of the game, certainly Australian, but on a worldwide sense, let's say you're in the conversation as the GOAT, what advice would you give to those youngsters that want to achieve some success in their world, Jamie Dwyer? Uh, it's not easy. It's hard. Um, you need to commit to it and give it a go. And one thing I was very proud of, I left Rockhampton and not knowing how far I would get. But if I didn't make it, I would have been proud of myself that I gave it a crack and committed to it fully. Um, but it's not easy. Life's not easy. Making it to top sports, not easy. There's a lot of hard days in there. There's a lot of commitment you have to make. But when you do get there and you do achieve uh, something special, it's it's worth it. Mm. I would say find out what you like in life and what you what you find interesting or what your passion is, uh, and set out a plan, set some goals to try and achieve what you want. And then if you achieve it, that's great. Uh, if you don't, uh, you're not going to die wondering that you you didn't give it a go. So. If I was kids these days, don't worry about social media and try and work out what you what you want to do in life and what makes you happy and go for it. For me, it's for me it's hockey. It always has been hockey. I love golf as well, um, but family, hockey, golf, and and that gives me uh, a great balance in my life. For all the hockey fans, there you go. You've asked, we have delivered for mine the GOAT, Jamie Dwyer. So we'll get more hockey players on. But uh, for all those that have got in touch saying, please get Jamie Dwyer on. There is your episode, mate. Uh, Great to chat with you. Um, I haven't seen you for a long time. But for me, I've really enjoyed going in depth for what I said was one of my 
favourite sporting moments I've ever seen. So to chat through and learn all the stories about that that I wasn't aware of, sitting there having a beer in the Athens evening, it's been fantastic, mate. So it's just great to see you doing so well with your family and your business. Um, we'll put the website up. Go and see Bib and Tucker if you need any hockey gear, JDH Sports. That's your way to go, mate. It's just great to see for a man that didn't make a massive amount of money but had the passion through his career that you're going so well financially, emotionally, physically and with your family, mate. It, it's given me a lift. So thanks for having your <laughs> chat with me on the Howie Games. Cheers. Thanks very much, Howie, and well done to you too, mate. This is an awesome podcast, so, and everything you do on TV. Good on you. Cheers, Jamie. Thanks, mate. See ya. Jamie Dwyer, what a star. As I said, just a truly stunning moment in Australian sport. 2004. One of the great atmospheres at a sporting event. Hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I did. Thanks to Jamie for coming on. He is a legend. Next week on the show, do not forget Eddie Betts. It is one of those episodes that I hope you listen to and I hope you listen to with your kids and your family and all of those in your wider community. Until next Thursday, peace and love. And we can do it if we try, try, try. If we try, try, try If we try, try, try